Thank you for listening to NSL Double Talk. Never stop learning. At Never Stop Learning, we connect you with engaging experts who join you and your friends or colleagues in conversation at a location of your choosing. With NSL Double Talk, we are bringing the Never Stop Learning model directly to you. Each podcast will feature two experts in conversation on topics that range from global affairs to wellness to arts to innovation. Sometimes the experts agree, sometimes they don't, but we will never stop learning and never stop laughing. NSL Double Talk featuring Monica and Michael Berg. Their topic today is sustaining, enhancing, and growing love. Monica is the author of Fear Is Not An Option and serves as COO for Kabbalah Center International. Authentic and fearless, Monica reminds us of our extraordinary potential. With her trademark blend of humor, insight, and honesty, she shows individuals how to create a life that feels like it is working, like it makes sense, and most importantly, a life in which they are living and loving as the powerful, fulfilled person they've always wanted to be. Michael is an author, scholar, and spiritual leader. Through his lectures, books, and blog, Michael seeks to inspire and to teach people how they can transform and achieve true and lasting fulfillment. Michael lectures worldwide and is a best-selling author who has developed a global following with his books, such as Becoming Like God, Well of Life, The Secret, and The Way. Michael is also the creator and director of Kabbalah.com, the online learning platform of the Kabbalah Center. We are so excited to welcome Monica and Michael to NSL Double Talk. So it's great to be with you today, my husband, Michael Berg. Hi, everybody especially during this time where we are all sequestered to our homes pretty much all the time. It's funny, I was thinking this is when you find out whether you actually love each other or not. And you need to spend every single day, 24 hours a day, with your wife and in some cases your kids and pets. Well, luckily we've been working side by side for our entire marriage for the most pretty part, much. right? Which will be 24 years in August. And I think our relationship is something that I'm really proud of. Because as I wrote in the intro of my book, Rethink Love, many people have different experiences throughout their life with different people, and um, they learn and they grow. But we've had all of our experiences really with each other, and we've learned and grown and changed through that. So I'm really proud of that. Yeah, and it's interesting, lately I've been thinking a lot about the word change. And I think when you think about relationships, and certainly in times that are more challenging than most couples are used to. That desire to change, I think, is probably what will eventually allow a couple of relationships to really grow because, you know, there are a lot of people who don't want to change. I mean, I remember some time ago I was talking to uh, one of our students in Los Angeles, and uh, we were talking about somebody he was dating, and I asked him, I said, you know, does she want to change? And he said, no, the truth is she wants everything to stay exactly as it is now forever. And I, my recommendation it wasn't, you know, was simply that, in my opinion and in my uh, life, I've seen that the couples that really work together are those who want to change. And again, you know, there are many people in this world who, you know, like the way they are, they don't want to change, but for a couple to really thrive and having a partner with you both with a desire to change and able to point out where, where and what are the things we need to change is probably the most important aspect or foundation for, for a thriving relationship. Well, that's the key, right? I mean, I do call myself a change junkie now, and when we first got married, you can attest to this, I didn't really 
embrace change that much. I'm a Virgo and I really like structure and routine and a pencil with an eraser and a daily planner. But um, through life challenges and opportunities, I've come to realize so completely that change is the only constant. And if you spend your time fighting change, you're going to have a hard time when it comes about. And I think especially now with COVID-19, those who really struggle with being flexible and resist change are, are probably having more of a difficult time. But it's interesting in terms of relationships because if we accept this universal truth that change is the only constant, then I think that each person in the relationship should start thinking about this early on because I think often we enter relationships and we work so hard to find the one. Double dating, blind dating. We put ourselves through so many uncomfortable situations to find the person. And then once we do, we're like, okay, check. I found my partner. Now I can focus more on my career or it's going to be amazing forever, we assume. And we stop investing in it the way we did when we were finding the person. And when you do that, then you stop noticing the little day-to-day things that happen and that occur. And as we're sitting here, you and I are both changing in ways that we can't see, physically, mentally, hopefully with our consciousness, emotionally. And unless as a couple you come back together and share with one another how you're evolving, changing, and thereby your desire is changing as well as you change. And I've seen couples that become more roommates, um, unless they're friends, really, you know, because friendship fuels passion, friendship is everything. Yeah, how many times we met with a couple and basically years, especially those who've been married for a number of times, and they really don't even know each other anymore. Well, they don't like each other very much. Either, so, yeah, but they also really don't know each other. Right, and we do. I mean, we may get a practice. I mean, I joke about this, but I'll come in very often up there. You know, I, I discovered something new about myself today. And even if it's silly and mundane, I still share it with you because I always want us to go forward as a couple together as we understand new things about ourselves or as we desire them. It's funny. I was thinking... We, we, you know, having this time in quarantine, so we spend, we spend a lot of time watching movies with our kids, trying to introduce them into what, at least in our opinion, our classics. kids wrote classics, <laughs> or in the words of our children, olden time movies, maybe in the 90s. Uh, but, any, but anyway, we, so we were watching Godfather, and you, you know, those, I would say, the, the relationships of those couples are probably the worst of, that you can imagine. And, you know, maybe even, you know, years ago, people could maintain a relatively happily marriage without knowing each other. You know, the husband had his job to do, the wife had her job to do, whatever that was. And then they just were really two people working in separate jobs, coming together at night, sleeping in the same bed. Right, there are very assigned roles that each one should play. Right, right. But really, like, I think, again, going back to to the, the fact that reality is we're all changing. You know, even people who don't want to change, they are changing. People, like you said, people get older, people grow, and sometimes people go backwards. But if you're not constantly aware, and I think if you don't know who your partner is, there's no real chance to have a thriving relationship. And knowing your partner literally means every single day finding how are they new today. And I think one of the one of the most fun things for me in our relationship, even though we've been married for over 23 years, is when I find out something new about you. Mm-hmm. And when you find out something new, and it could be something good or something not so great, but there's that joy in discovering something new about each other. And if you really accept the reality that we're all going to be changing, and hopefully we're changing in positive ways, we're learning new things, we're learning, getting excited about new things. If you don't really put in the effort to know each other consistently. 
you know, like not knowing who you're with, and there's no way to really grow closer if you're not knowing they, each other. I think people make assumptions, like they assume that the person they fell in love with is always going to be the same way. And it's our own responsibility to make sure that we take time to connect, to ask questions, to be interested, not only in ourselves and where we're growing, but also in our partners. But I think it's interesting, when we're talking about change, I get this question a lot. People confuse the idea of change with, well, I want to change my partner, right? It's not so much about the changes that we see for ourselves, but that we want them to be different somehow because we're uncomfortable or, you know, we're not getting attention or whatever the assigned uh, blame is for that. So when we talk about change, it's important that your vision of what your partner should be is also aligned with what they want to become. It's not fair on, uh, for us as individuals to have these expectations that we place on them. So one of my favorite Kabbalists, Ravash, like he teaches, we can't give a name to anything that we can't imagine. When we look at who we are and where we want to be, it's limited because it's all within the framework of what we know. So it's this idea that you actually need somebody to be kind of a mirror for you, to show you where you need to change and grow. But in order to do that, first of all, you have to be in a relationship that is authentic, that there's vulnerability, that there's safety, right? Because you can't operate at that level if you don't feel safe in it. I would just say, I'm just saying, I mean, again, how many times have we met a couple where there is no safety? I mean, they're almost never, certainly not total safety, right? And that's really the goal. The goal is that you get to a point where you are so invested in each other that there's nothing that you can say to each other that will have any possibility of breaking down the relationship. I think too often, because that work isn't done, there really isn't any safety, not certainly for the most vulnerable thing, but not even for the basic things. But think about it. When we started our relationship, we didn't even understand what it meant to be vulnerable. Right? I certainly did it. I think you did more than I did. But I think I was more emotionally in touch with myself and probably more emotionally intelligent, but still to be vulnerable means showing all of yourself, right? The good, the bad, the things that we really try to hide. So when you meet somebody and you want to impress them and then you really want to be together forever, it's easy to try to hide those parts of ourselves that we're not comfortable with. I, I, I don't mean to cut you up, but I remember a story a few years ago. Somebody came to me. They, he was dating somebody for a long time, and then he sat there for like 20 minutes or a half hour just extolling her virtues. You know, she's amazing and this, amazing and that, which is great. Then at the end of all that, he said, you know, do you think that we should get married? He was asking me my opinion. I knew both of them pretty well. I said, well, what don't you like about her? And there really wasn't very much on that list. And I said, well, until you have also the list of the things that, you know, you really don't like about her, uh, then I think you're ready to get married until you know the person. And those are the things that you love about them and the things that maybe you know, about them that you don't think are so great, only then can you really have a, a decision, a real decision to be made whether you should be together. Well, I think that that's the thing. Many of us go into relationships just trying to show our best selves. And I have people often say to me, well, I don't really want them to know this about me. Or I know a lot of people especially don't want to reveal maybe how many sexual partners they've had before. I mean, there's so many things that we keep. And I say, well, if you start lying now, and you start hiding things at the beginning of your relationship, first of all, you're going to lose track of the line, and you'll get caught anyway. But then this is the foundation upon which you're growing your entire relationship on. And they'll discover anyway. When you live together, you know, all those things you tried to hide, I mean, they come in full focus. 
and they'll be brought to your attention anyway. So to have a really strong relationship that will stand the test of time, where you're still having fun and you still want to be married to one another, vulnerability is a very key ingredient. And it's like you said, it's not just when you're first dating somebody. This is even, you know, people who are five years into their marriage. If both of them are not really conscious of the fact that I want to open myself up to my partner consistently, then our ego wants us to hide the things that don't make us comfortable and things that scare us. And it's probably our default, again, not just when I first, in the first six months of dating, but even five years into the marriage, and unless you really awaken a desire, I know that unless I can be as vulnerable as possible to my partner, our, the depth of our love and really the, the strength of our relationship will not be able to grow. It's really almost a mathematical formula, the strength of the foundation of any relationship is equal to the amount of vulnerability from both sides. Well, speaking of five years, I think that's when we actually started to become vulnerable with one another. When our second son, Josh, was born, um, a few hours after his birth, we found out he had Down syndrome. And I think that if you asked us at that time, if we loved one another and if we were happy with our marriage, we would say yes. I don't think we understood the potential of what it could be and how much we could develop it and really become one and, and become vulnerable. And that happened after the situation happened to both of us that at first we were shocked by and we were afraid of. And, you know, it wasn't something we initially wanted. Obviously, you want to have a healthy child. But that, I think, was the first time that something happened to both of us equally. And I had so much anxiety and fear in the first few months that you became um, so much more than a husband. You really became... I mean, really my best friend, but really also part of me. And, and from that space, I was able to allow you to see everything, all of my insecurities. And for me as well. But it's interesting, you know, especially now that so many people are going through stressful times. I was having a conversation today with one of our teachers in London, and he, had, he just lost his father, and he was feeling a tremendous amount of pain. And we were talking about it, and I said, you know, having lost my father and experienced that pain as well, you know, pain, although it's a word we don't like to think about, can be a very, very powerful and important part of our lives. You know, we talk about our experience with Josh. Really what opened us up was the pain that we felt together in that time. And, and I think that one of the truths about life, especially when you're going through something as a couple, is that in times of stress and times of pain, they can be really used as time to really deepen your relationship. And I don't think there's any question in my mind, I think you agree that had we not gone through that pain, there's no way we would really even, even know what an amazing relationship could be like. Well, it kind of kills back all the layers of the ego, right? It makes you completely raw. And you just speak for truth, I think, from a space of pain, right? You speak for happiness, for joy. And when you're digging for those kinds of things, you're clearer and you're you're simpler in a way than you've ever been. I, I completely agree, but we both know a lot of people who never did any pain in one way. Or they become a victim about it. It's true. I think it depends on your your perspective. If I had to guess, I would say many, most people probably find a way to deal with pain that's not constructive, not as seeing it in some way again as a gift for growth. Well, it's like just post-traumatic stress versus post-traumatic growth, right? Some people look at pain and unfortunate situations and challenges as a curse. Why me? What did I do to deserve this? How can I make it go away as soon as possible? Escapism, right? They medicate, whatever it is. And then others, 
say, okay, this happened. I don't believe in a life of suffering. I don't believe I'm undeserving of good things. So what could be the gift or the opportunity here for me? For sure. I think the thing, you know, with the phrase I often think about is that what happens to us in life, because things are going to be changing all the time, sometimes what happens is painful. You either grow from it or you break from it. But there really is no, and again, I, I would say most of the people, many of the people that I've met, even people who desire in some way to develop themselves, because they so often choose to run away from pain, they don't allow their true potential to be manifest. Whether it's in any area of their life, but certainly in their relationships. One of my favorite words, we talk about, you know, people call God, we speak about the creator or that whatever, however you view it, that force that is behind all that is. And the Kabbalists use the, the phrase endless, endless life. And what that means to me is that in all areas of my life, there is potential for endless life. There is potential for endless fulfillment. There is potential for endless love. And when you think about it in that way, no matter where you are in your relationship, even if you have an amazing relationship, what's exciting, and as, as we sit here together now, it's, you know, 23 plus years into our marriage, I'm excited about the fact that I know that our relationship tomorrow and the next day and next year and 10 years from now has a potential to be so exponentially greater that the love that we give to each other and the support that we give to each other and, and the light that we get out of our relationship really has the potential to be endless. And when you think in that way about life and you think about your relationship, you're really motivated both to invest and to, and to change and to grow together. And this is what's interesting. You hit on a key word, potential, right? Whenever I see people, I'm all about, as soon as you have a, a thought, right, this kind of thought that we're discussing, you just follow it up by immediate action. Because if not, it becomes fleeting. So you have to think about potential as a slab of clay. It's really unmet potential. And nothing will happen or come of that slab of clay until you have a thought and then you put your hand through the clay and you form something, right? If you look at all of the masterpieces, Michelangelo, different things that were created in time, it was, it started as unmet potential. So it's the same thing in life. Unless we consciously go after things and we use our desire to want to have endless light, to want to have endless love, to have all of the beauty that life has to offer us, it's not going to happen unless we take an action and and start to create that. And that's up to each and every one of us. And it's totally and completely possible. For sure. And the other word that I would add is consciousness. You know, the capitalists often speak about the importance of consciousness. And, and again, I'm thinking about all the millions and billions of couples in their homes under quarantine. And I would say maybe the most important part, even if you accept the potential to grow from this, is that both partners agree or have the consciousness, as we would say, that this is an opportunity. Yes, it comes with all kinds of chaos and it comes with all kinds of problems, but the fact that we're sequestered in our home together is a chance, a potential ability to make our relationship that much stronger. You know, we, you know I remember when Josh was born and we started meeting couples and families with children with disabilities, you know, one of the things that we noticed, and this is a true statistic, that so many couples break up after having a traumatic event mm-hmm. uh, or having a child with challenges. And so at this time in the world, it's not coincidental, I think those couples that are really more conscious, that say, okay, these next few days, weeks, months, or however long it's going to be, might not be the most comfortable ones, and there are going to be things about it that we're not going to enjoy. We actually make a conscious decision and effort 
to deepen our relationship, strengthen our relationship through this. I think the first step also is just to be honest about where you are in the state of the relationship. As a mind, we cannot escape our reality. And, um, you know, while often people look to go to external things to make them feel better about situations or to ignore situations and things that they really are not happy with, we don't really have that ability today, which I think is a good thing if you take advantage of it. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And you know, when when I think about, again, think about us, you know, we have many stressors that could possibly come into our lives, whether it's the kids and homeschooling, as I think many parents realize it's a crazy system, at least in its uh, beginning few weeks. You know, but we decide that we have to make time for ourselves. We decide that the stress that comes out, we're going to share it with each other, but we're going to make a decision, you know, that we come out of this time, not just where we were before. You know, so many people... And I think this is true, again, not just for a couple in the relationship, but I think it's true for every individual, that my goal for myself after this crazy time in the world, that I not go back to where I was before, that I'm changed by it, and that I'm a better person for it. And I think certainly that's true for relationships, that the goal, to, and should be talking about this, right? It starts communication and vulnerability, but you say to each other, let's make sure that we leave this crazy time and our kids go, will go, eventually go back to school and the world will go back to whatever the new normal is, but that our relationship doesn't go back to where it was, but that our relationship is in a much more powerful, strong, and love-filled place than it was before. Yeah, and that's especially for couples that were doing okay before, right? Um, but then there's some that are ready to walk out the door. It's such a great opportunity to be honest with yourself about where you find yourself. And so many people have gone into relationships or marriages with cherished delusions, that the relationship was going to bring them something, a white picket fence, a better life, feel secure now, whatever it is. And we all have them. I remember my cherished delusion, which I didn't know at first and discovered years into our marriage, was that I would naturally be elevated to a higher spiritual plane once we got married because you were basically studying spirituality since you were born. And so I thought, great, this is shortcut. I mean, I was doing my own work, but this was kind of speed things up. And I realized a few years into the marriage, but that's not going to happen. That's not how it works. Now, my cherished delusion wasn't particularly dangerous because I didn't have an illusion about who I marry, but who I would be in the marriage. So I think that it's a great opportunity for everybody to ask themselves what illusions do they have because they will be shattered at some point and you'll be left to pick up the broken pieces. Now, if your illusion wasn't too bad, you still left the person you married, you can shatter the illusion and then you can create a new foundation and start from there. For others... It was all an illusion, and that's okay. I think still be honest because you rather see the truth now so you have other options sooner rather than later. I'm just encouraging everybody to really take this time because we have the opportunity, but really every day of your life to really choose to be honest with yourself and then take actions from there to make you feel like you're living the life you really desire. No, I agree, and I would say one thing, you mentioned this before, that, and this isn't just the cost of coronavirus, but really the time for a couple to really invest is when things are good, right? So many times, again, like even, I would say even for ourselves in the first five years of our marriage, we were young, yes, and we, we loved each other. And if you ask you or me at that time, are you happy with the marriage? Of course, the answer would be yes. But we weren't really investing in it. We weren't really sharing in, in deep ways and vulnerable ways. And really, again, the opportunity of having Josh really brought us to that. But I think it's so important for those couples that are in, you know, either dating or in the first year of marriage or five years into marriage, 
you know, so so often life is, well, I'm so busy with my career, I'm so busy with the kids, I'm so busy with so many other things. You know, when things calm down, that's where I'll invest in, in the relationship. That's where I'll invest in the marriage. The best time to do it, like you said, is when things are really, you know, you feel things are going great. But that's when you need to invest because you're going to change, you're going to hopefully grow. But if you're not growing and changing together and really making an investment, you know, you might find out 20 years later when you do have the time to invest, that you both don't, you don't anymore. care anymore. You just <laughs> lost the desire. <laughs> it reminds me of a joke. We had a dear friend who since passed in, in Florida, and uh, his parents were married for a long, long time. A very unhappy marriage but for, for a long, long time. And I think they were like in their 80s or something. They got divorced. And he asked his dad, he said, Dad, after all these years, why are you divorced now? And the dad said, I just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> there's some couples like that. But the, yeah. And I would just add one other key ingredient to a happy, successful relationship is to add laughter and levity to it. So often people hear, you know, relationships are work, and I think a lot of people hear it as it's hard work and it's going to be, you know, painful and, you know, it's, it's so difficult. It's work, but it should still be fun because at the end of the day, you chose this. Again, hopefully you chose it for the right reasons, but I'm sure at the beginning it was fun and you did have fun together and you did explore new ways to experience life together. So that somehow wanes throughout, you know, later in the relationship and it's important to consciously bring it back. And I remember shortly after Josh was born, I had this great idea. We were just going to go and try new things and learn different things. We took tennis lessons. We took salsa lessons. We, I mean, there's, <laughs> we went bike riding. I mean, and then after like a month, we were exhausted because we were doing something new every night. But we laughed so much again. Then those two things really are connected, the joy and levity and laughter and uh, vulnerability. Because I think so often people have an ego. We all have an ego. But people's ego is so strong that they don't want to be silly. They don't want to, you know, let's say you made a stupid mistake today at work. Maybe you don't want to share with your partner because you don't want them to think you're stupid. But if you really take down those veils, those barriers of our ego, and again, it has to be in a safe space, and that, you know, that, that's the other part of the work. But then you're really much more capable to have laughter and levity because you can laugh at yourself and you actually enjoy if your partner laughs at you as well. But I think, you know, really making sure that we don't allow our ego and our often desire to only be seen in the best light by everybody and sometimes especially by our partner, uh, that we don't allow that to, to, you know, to hinder the amount of joy and really laughter and levity that we have. I think one of the things that came from being so vulnerable to each other is that we had the ability to really laugh at ourselves to each other. Mm -hmm. And we do that to the great. I think some of the biggest laughs we have is the silly things that either I've done that you've done that we've shared with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And it creates a closeness. For sure. I would say, you know, we're, you know, there's so many things we spoke about that relationships need. I think one of the top ones for me, and I know you speak about it a lot in your book, is appreciation. And really it's human nature to lose appreciation. And it's certainly human nature in times of stress to be so focused on other things and to lose appreciation for your partner, for the person that you love. And I can, I know for myself that it actually needs to be an active, an active practice where I take time, if it's once a day, if it's once a week, to look at Monica and really think about the things that, that I love, that I like, that make me laugh, that make me happy. 
because I know that unless I'm constantly awakening more, more and more appreciation for you, my love for you will not be blown. And, and you get, so you take for granted and you lose appreciation. And when you lose appreciation, you really lose the foundation of the relationship. So I would say for sure, as we talk about the top areas of work and growth for a relationship, really really finding the time to awaken appreciation, especially in the challenging, more chaotic times of our lives. I think it's also one of the first things we lose in a relationship. Um, and when the appreciation is lost, the love is lost. And it's an interesting thing because the love may still be there, but your ability to access it isn't. And I give this example in my book about my, you know, we have four kids, and my oldest, when he was 13, I remember... Um, one day he was telling us that he had a baseball game and he kept saying to his father, you can come, it's going to be great. And I said, well, David, when is it? And he said, you know, the date and time. I said, well, it's great, actually, I can come. And he looked at me, you know, shifting from side to side. His eyes wouldn't make eye contact. He's saying, well, you know, it's okay. Um, he called my husband, Abba. He said, it's okay, Abba will come. He's going to record it for you. He really didn't want me to come. And finally I said, well, what's going on? Um, and he said, he finally admitted that I was like nine months pregnant with our fourth child and that at that stage, his friends knew how babies were made and he was embarrassed for me to show up. And I remember, I mean, I sent him straight up to bed. My ego was a little bit bruised, but I thought about it. You know, when he was born, just the smell of his skin or the touch of him on me or his head cradled in my hand with his hair standing straight up, I mean, my appreciation was endless. My love was palpable. And then, you know, at age 14, when he has his own opinions now and he gets a mouth on him and that continues through puberty, you know, you can start to not feel that love as strongly. Now, has my love changed? No. Has his soul changed? No. He's still the same person. But my ability in those moments where I'm challenged to access that is compromised. So it's the same with relationships. If I can leave you with this one thought, don't be fooled by your ego and that version of love to allow you to not see your partner for who they are anymore. We have to awaken. It's our responsibility to consistently awaken appreciation for our partners. And instead of looking at what they can give us and how they should be pleasing us and what they should be providing, we really need to understand that we don't feel supported not because they don't appreciate us, but because we don't appreciate them and somehow that was lost. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, that's a great point, really, to, to conclude is that, like you said, appreciation allows us to access the love that otherwise we would think is not there. Yeah. And with that, we'll leave you, and this is really fun. Until another time. Yes, thank you. For conversations you can't ignore, come back every Monday and Thursday for new episodes. Subscribe now and never stop learning.